1: You're listening to the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast Deer Season Special. These bonus episodes revolve around deer hunting stories and experiences from a host of deer hunters. These whitetail hunting BS sessions will be launched every week during the 2023 hunting season, adding fuel to your fire in the deer woods. Be entertained and hopefully learn something along the way. The title sponsor of the Deer Season Special Series is Vantage Point Archery, home to the toughest machined one-piece broadheads made in the USA. VPA products are built to last, which is why they have a lifetime warranty. And if you're not completely satisfied, you can send it back, which I highly doubt will occur. New to the lineup this year is VPA's Omega Broadhead. It combines the features of a single bevel with strength of a double bevel. This broadhead also comes with lay-flat sharpening technology. You heard right. A single bevel broadhead you can lay flat and sharpen without a jig. You can find the Omega and all the other broadheads at vparchery.com. The Pennsylvania Woodsman is also brought to you by Radix Hunting, home of the M-Core cell camera, stick and pick camera accessories, and much more. Also brought to you by Vitalized Seed, a one-two planting system designed with diversity and biology in mind, making it the best food plot available. And lastly, by Huntworth Gear, quality hunting clothing at an affordable cost, makers of heat boost technology. This week's episode is none other than the sportsman's empire leader himself, Dan Johnson. Dan and I have a conversation late this summer and talk about podcasting from the start. We talk about what it was like for me starting out and and having 100 episodes launched this year, and then we translate that to what it's been like for Dan building the empire with state-specific shows and producing nearly over 1,000 podcasts himself in that time. We talk about content production, how it's... influence the bow hunting world, how it may or may not influence his life. We talk about bow hunting with the mindset of also being a father and a husband. And then of course we have some stories and we talk about the hunts where things really clicked in 2016 for Dan as he says, and we talk about the story of an absolute mega giant in the state of Iowa that he laid eyes on that would potentially beat the milo hansen buck in his mind it's stories it's a great whitetail hunting bs session hope you guys enjoy it let's get to it joining me today for the pennsylvania woodsman podcast is none other than the emperor himself mr dan johnson dan how we doing i'm doing
0: good dude congratulations on 100 episodes man
1: yeah it's hard to believe that uh it's been going on that long so take uh take everybody back to what that was like in the beginning because you you started a bunch of shows on the network kind of like I did like just firing from the hip hey anybody want to start a start a a state-specific show like what was that like on your end of the spectrum because I know it it was overwhelming on my end
0: yeah yeah I'll I'll say this um I I really wanted a lot of state-specific uh content especially in the the key states and when you when you talk about whitetail hunting, um, like the biggest population of people, the biggest group, uh, you know, like the the states with the most hunters, Pennsylvania, right, Wisconsin, uh, Ohio, Michigan, and I, I really wanted that um, those people to have a voice on this network, just because you know from you know from number one, that's where the most hunters live. Number two. Uh, it just from a business standpoint, you know, I want states, I want a lot of content coming out of the States with the most outdoorsmen, And then, you know, the, the entire South as well. So we don't necessarily have a, like a a state specific Southern podcast, like, let's say like Alabama, but we do have, um, we do have a feed dedicated to the Southern, uh, the Southern lifestyle, the Southern uh, part of the United States. And so, that was always a goal is is to get real niche with the content that was coming out of the network just so people had an option. Because on some of the biggest um, podcasts that are out there, I feel like that's all that content's great, but it doesn't necessarily relate on a, a state or even county level like some of the uh, really niche state-specific podcasts do.
1: Oh, absolutely, and it's amazing too, I mean, I didn't pay attention real closely until I started this show, but it's amazing how it seems like when you follow social media and you follow different um, influencers, how the podcasts have just exploded. There's so much content out there, but it is. It mm-hmm. seems like in this demographic, it's very oh, big buck killer podcast 101, and, and it just keeps going on. on. So the state-specific concepts are interesting. What what, I, what blows me away, though, is just how the dynamic fold. And I guess from your end of the spectrum, I mean, you got to throw that APB out however, however you can, but it's just such a unique way for that to to transpire and, and get people to because it's like that that awkward meeting of people on the internet you never know what you're going to run into (laughs) exactly
0: exactly and and you know just as well as I do that's why I vet all these shows (laughs) like I had a couple guys come on one time and and they sent me a pilot episode and I'm just like because and 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 I tell everybody this I'm sure you can remember when I told you this three things are going to happen when you send me a a a pilot episode I'm going to tell you three things one it's great Let's move forward. Let's go do this. Two, I'll critique it a little bit. You come back with another episode. Uh, fic, work on what uh, I told you to fix. And then, you know, if it's good, then we'll move forward. Or three, uh, I, I just am completely honest with people. I say, this isn't the right move for you. Right? <laughs> this, this isn't going to be a right fit for the the network. And the cool thing about you uh, is that you were really nervous to start the you know, at the beginning, and you were like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, and you were, you know, getting a hold of me all the time. But I will say this within the last six months, I have had more comments about the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast than any other podcast on the network about how people are really enjoying the content that's coming out of it.
1: Well, that's good news to hear, and I, I really appreciate that because sometimes when you're rolling and you don't get that feedback, uh, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I don't know if I ever told you this, but like when we when we set our intro into you, that would have been you know me and, and my friend Devon when we started. You know, he uh, he's like, "Yo, let's set this intro up," and it was honestly, Dan, it was a joke to me. I was like, "Yeah, whatever." Like, what are the chances he's going to pick us? And then it was like a week later. You uh, you emailed Devon back like yeah you guys knocked out of the park and I literally went well crap now this is <laughs> this just got real it's like okay I'm going to start a podcast and I don't know diddly squat about it but now it's been great I, I just can't believe it's been a hundred episodes two years worth and uh, I'm enjoying it you know Lord willing I'm looking to do a whole lot more but I got to ask yep. you this question because I get asked this all the time how do you come up? With all the content you do, know, because I get people that ask me all the time, don't you get tired about talking? Like, how do you, how don't you run out of things to talk about? I'm like, it's not that hard. It's hunting, but you've got to have that question because you've got, what, 700 plus episodes with Nine Finger Chronicles plus a bunch yeah. of other shows and stuff.
0: Yeah. I think I'm, I'm really getting close to a thousand total podcasts that I've put out in my life. Uh, with the nine finger chronicles with the hunting gear podcast and then some of the other stuff that I've done as well and so for me it's easy and and that's why I love doing what I'm doing is because what's my favorite thing in the world outside of my family is deer hunting and bow hunting specifically and whenever and there's a million there's millions and millions of people out there who all have unique takes on hunting strategy. They all have unique hunting stories. And so all I have to do is really reach out to people and say, hey, do you want to tell a story or talk to me about how you hunt in the state that you hunt? And it's like it, it just comes easy for me because I love talking about deer hunting and hunting in general with all types of people from all over the U.S., And shit, I I mean, I've I've interviewed people from England and and other countries as well.
1: Yeah, that's really unique. It's again, it comes back to hunting. Is just one of those things that, for me, story time is always where my ears are wide open. I mean, Mm -hmm. I like when people talk about their strategies, and like when you get into, I, I just said this on a show, you know, earlier this year, when you get into like scouting specific podcasts, I get to a point where I'm like. I feel like we're just asking the same questions and getting the same answers because you can only go so far in a podcast to highlight what people think and and go from a scouting aspect, but when you go into telling – stories and pulling experiences from a hunt specifically and, and diving into okay well this is what happened and why I think this happened and this is what I went with when I went into this hunt that's where I'm like oh wow light bulb moment I can apply that here and here and there and, and I just think it's a better listen it's more enjoyable
0: yeah yeah uh, uh absolutely and um I don't know man there's just something about the 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 hunting community we just have so many good people that are in it and I love talking to those people.
1: We really really do, um, and I'm I'm fortunate like with with Pennsylvania, you know everywhere's got a, a I guess their own unique dynamic. I think Pennsylvania with that that strong hunting heritage that we have. I mean there's there, there's definitely that good group of people. I mean I, right now as we're recording this, I'm in. I'm actually in Canada right now and we're we we were talking about hunting around here with some people up here and it's just amazing how that community no matter where you go in the country or the world for that matter can be but you know speaking of hunting stories man you uh you've been putting it putting it hard you've been doing a couple of out of state hunts the past few years and then you're always uh always spending a bunch of time in uh, in the home state of Iowa so do you get to a point where like you're throughout your hunting seasons you go i want to i want to try this new i want to try that new because i feel like certain years i have my mind everywhere and bouncing around you kind of seem like when you get into your seasons like you're dialed down to like this is what i'm doing this is how i do it and i'm not going to deviate far from that as far as where you go and how your strategy rolls into season
0: yeah so so really over the last hmm i want to say since since I mean, damn near 26 years, 20, excuse me, 20 years, almost, uh, I guess it would be t- t- uh, 17 years over the last 17 years. I've been what I would consider a serious hardcore bow hunter for, uh, since 2006. All right. 2006 is the year I made a decision to say, you know what I'm going to I'm going to do this bow hunting thing. I want to make this bow hunting thing my life, my hobby, my passion and things like that. And so since then, you know, I've just tried to be a student of the game, if that makes sense, and learn as much as I possibly can about all of the, you know, everything about deer and hunting strategy and not just deer, but now, you know, I'm kind of expanding into mule deer as well and, and some other big game species. And so... With, with the ultimate goal of just being as knowledgeable as possible uh, about this, this, the deer species itself, specifically whitetails, because, I, you know, once you can understand them, and when you, and I had to learn this the hard way, and really not just observe your surroundings, observe, you know, like everybody talks about strategy, hey, you got to get in a pinch point and you got to do uh, find edge and bedding and blah, 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 but It's also about deer behavior and knowing what deer do certain times of year, knowing what deer like to eat in certain terrain features, knowing how to apply those principles from Iowa to uh, another state and watching what they do so then you can say to yourself, okay, here are the differences and here are the similarities between deer, deer movement, deer hunting strategies. And then with the ultimate goal of applying that uh, to you know, to a, to a season. And so it took me 10 years really to figure it all out from 2006 to 2016. I found success, but it was more luck than skill, I would say. And so something happened in 2016 where it really started to click for me. And I've been on a roll ever since. And it's because I've been able to open my eyes my ears and my mind to what these animals are doing and when they're doing them and then just putting myself in the best position based off of you know what mother earth gives me
1: right now a lot of bow hunters kind of talk about having like a specialty maybe like some people would consider themselves rut hunters some guys like hunting early hunting late season like do you do you kind of gravitate to one specific section of the season to hunt your hardest or do you feel pretty confident from the beginning to the end of the season on getting all mature deer.
0: Yeah. So my strategy is very simple. Uh my strategy is I'm a father of 3 and so that takes priority. I mean, be completely honest with you, I don't have a single trail camera out right now. Hmm. And it's August. And so I'm I'm behind, period. And it's because I've been a baseball coach. It's because I'm, you know, uh basically a babysitter during the day my my wife works uh, and i I'm, I'm i try to get my work done throughout the day up here in my office but i'm also running kids to appointments i'm also making sure they don't get bored and burn the house down uh, you know taking care of the the honey do list you know i built a deck that's not even finished right now and uh uh and we're taking a trip to florida here pretty soon you know and we went to des moines for state baseball and so So I'm trying to, what I do is I knock all of that out. I, I get the brownie points. I build up the rapport with the family. And so they know, I set my expectations, and then I say to myself, okay, it's the best time of year to be in the woods. And that's late October, you know, especially in the Midwestern states, it's late October to... Uh, you know, to the end of November and then sometimes the late season as well. And so what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be spending as much time in the woods as possible to try to get the job done because I know that I've put in the time uh, other places. And so for me, I, I'm not trying to attack a buck early season unless one gives me an opportunity or I have trail camera data. Most of my uh, success from, comes from the, the pre-rut time frame and, and when I mean pre-rut, I don't mean October. I mean the first week of November really is when I found my most success. Uh, right before the doe groups start going into heat. And I attack that first week uh, and second week really hard. And, and, and try to use trail camera information to put a play on a buck, find the terrain features within the circuit that they're running, and attack it and then go in and, and get the job done. And, and ultimately that's uh, that's how I found my success in the past, you know, since 2016.
1: Well, this is kind of going a little bit of a different direction than I had anticipated, but I want to dive into that a little bit more because it's speaking home to, to my life right now. So I want to know as much as you're willing to discuss on your mental state of off-season work going into hunting season, because I'm going sp- to speak on that a little bit for me. This has been a really, really hard adjustment as my kids have grown older to see the time and preparation that I have in the off season kind of dwindle down and not be and just feeling unprepared and you know the way I've hunted most of my life you know you and I've talked about this I hunt a lot of private land I do a lot of food plots I do a lot of off-season work and you know my mindset with that type of hunting has been if I do as much as possible in the off-season and preparing I hunt easy and and I'm confident because I've got my, my Stands in place, and I, I play the wind. I, I'm patient, and I usually capitalize, and I usually capitalize early. You know, for me, the best time to kill a deer and you know, kill a buck that I'm targeting is like the th- first three weeks of October. Like that is when you've got a food pattern or something you can relate to with food. Um, just for me, that's that's where it's just been the greatest. Well, you know, translate that now with not having uh, much preparation. Um, I, I'm not hunting the main property that I've hunted for most of my life because, um, number one, I don't really want to go hunt something that basically feels guided for me that I haven't put any work in for. So, you know, I'm away from that. And the other properties that I have, I've got opportunity early, yeah. but it's not the same. And, uh, now I'm kind of on a running gun situation. I'm, I'm trying to learn a slightly different way to hunt or slightly different way to approach it. And it's just the, the level of unknown and how I'm going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm confident I can get on deer. It's just, it's different. So, I mean, when you go through having this setup of doing one way for so long, and then you switch, like my mental preparation and my mental focus has just been tough. And I know that's probably transitioned in your life. So like, where are you at with that?
0: man, again, as, as life gets busier, uh, I uh, I have to dedicate less time to to the hunting f- for right now. you know what I mean? My saving grace is that I probably get to do it a little bit more than most people just because it's my job. you know I mean I I run an outdoor podcast network I have you know that's how I make my money and I I have multiple podcasts that I, I sell advertising on and that's how I make my money. And so I can get a little bit you know, I can get away with more of it because it's my job too. So, um, but on top of that, you know, when time in the field dwindles, then historical data and information plays more of a, a, a bigger role. And what I, what I mean by that is I just, I got it. I got to go off what I've learned uh, in the past seasons. Uh, okay. So I've I found success here during this time of year because Um, you know, because of this rut funnel or this pinch point or because it was downwind to bedding or, you know, my favorite areas to hunt or staging areas uh, before, you know, deer hit uh, large-scale ag or something like that. And so really what I'm doing is I'm just... this This is how the last couple seasons have went. This is no joke. I get my trail cameras out in July and August. They just soak until I go to... Uh, start hunting in late October, early November. I check my cards. I put, uh, I, I, I basically just say, is there a shooter deer on this area? Okay, yes. What's he doing? Is he on more than one trail camera? And I'll draw a line between all the places on a map between where I've gotten pictures of this this deer, and then I go to that line somewhere, and I try to find a f- terrain feature or edge on that line, and and really. It's just using information from pre- previous years and the and the most current data from trail cam picks, and then I'm hopping in, in a tree somewhere.
1: Just that simple, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, like, uh, animal data, to me, I think is just as important, if not more important. Like, unless you're running yeah. cell cameras that are giving you that, you know, within-the-minute stuff, like, to me, yeah. if you're hunting m- m- mature deer and you have history with a property— I personally think I would rather take that historical data in cameras for making decisions um, over, you know, pulling a card, you know, whenever you go into a stand or every week or 10 days or whatever. Like, I think it's more valuable to have the historical data.
0: Yeah, 100 percent.
1: So you said earlier that, you know, from 06 to 16, uh, you were you were moving and grooving, kind of learning through and 16 is kind of when you had some some really big confidence boosters and you really felt like you you were you I guess took the next step or took the next leap in in your confidence and I'm kind of curious like what was there one specific thing or one specific event or hunt or something that transpired that really just like made you push a clutch in and shift it into overdrive
0: well it was just one of those things like I mean I I had graduated college, you know, and then I I bounced around at different jobs for a while and, and I was kind of, uh, my, my life was kind of like a country song and I've told this story a hundred (laughs) times, but my life was like a country song. It was somewhere around 2006 where I lost my girlfriend who I thought I was going to marry. I lost my house because I got laid off from work. Uh, You know, and, and if I had a dog, I'm sure I would have lost it too. But you know what I mean? And so um, what happened was I was looking for something. I don't know. I didn't know what it was. And ultimately, I found it through bow hunting.
1: Nothing wrong with that. No. Nothing wrong with that at all. It's, that's, uh, you were looking for love in all the wrong places, and it found you, I guess, <laughs> is what it comes down to. That's
0: a fact. That's a fact.
1: <laughs> so you said, like, 16 uh, is when you really gained Confidence, and I'm assuming that's just because you've ten years and you've been you've been tinkering and, and fine tuning your and honing your skill. I'm kind of yes. curious. Was there any specific hunts that uh, that really opened your eyes in that time that just just kind of reinforced what you had been trying in the field?
0: I mean, I wish I could tell you it was one thing, but it really wasn't. It was an entire decade of things that led up to me making good and both good and bad decisions, right? So and, and being able and being able to make adjustments off of failure and not just walking out of the woods when I got blown at three thousand times in one set and saying, Okay, I'm just gonna go back to the same stand, you know. I, I what I had to do was just kind of break it all down and go, listen, I need to I need to know why that deer was doing that. And so then I started uh, learning about what the wind was doing and what the thermals were doing over the course of those years. Okay. So if I, uh, if I set up here, it's bad, but if I set up over here, it's much better. And the wind does that. So I'm constantly, let's say dropping milkweed or something like that. And I'm, I'm not just looking at what the milkweed is doing in in the next 50 yards. I'm trying to watch it for the next hundred yards. If I could put my binoculars up because sometimes the thermals and the wind shift further down and it may loop back all the way around and you don't know these things uh, but unless you're trying to you know unless you observe it and so really what it came down to was just a series of events that led up to 2016 to where I found I finally found my groove I found what worked started to work for me and then now that's not what everybody should be doing that's not the best way to do things but it's a way to do things and that way works for you know works for me
1: that what you just said there to me is really really important because i truly believe There is more than one way to skin a cat in in the world of whitetail hunting. There's not a one-size – I think a lot of people that listen to podcasts and watch shows and YouTube or whatever, and they're trying to learn. They're trying to to soak in as much information as possible. They think there's, like, this one straight and narrow path that you have to follow in order to kill mature bucks. And what I find so interesting is, like, I have a very – you know a a, a few specific um you know maybe influencers or or people that i personally know that are just consistent mature buck killers and they've got some some sound principles that all align with one another but the way that they do it many of them are very very different and i think there's a couple things there number one where you are in the country is a big part and number two I, i think again there's a few different ways to figure out a weak point to kill a mature buck. So I think it's just—I I really appreciate you saying how it's just important that I found my way, my style.
0: Right, and 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 if I grew up hunting, like so, so um, I'm a product of my environment too, right? And so what that means is I live in Iowa. Iowa has less than like it's like one percent between one and two percent available ground for the public to hunt like core engineer ground or state ground. we don't I don't think we have much federal ground in Iowa. And so like access is limited unless you hunt private land. And so I just have been um, I, I've I've been blessed, I guess you could say, to, Beyond some of the farms that I have access to hunt, and that's that environment has led me to come up with a strategy for that environment. Now, if I lived in Michigan, I would be doing the same thing now, but just a different way of doing it. I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't want to say success, but I'm saying if I spent uh, 17 years attacking public ground in let's say michigan and i failed several times within the first 10 years and i i applied that same mentality of i want to i want to get the job done on whatever my target animal is you know that may not be a mature buck but you know a lot of you'll hear a lot of guys in michigan or pennsylvania say dude i shot a three-year-old That's a stud in some of those states and some of those areas. Mm. And so I would be doing the same thing, trying to uh, kill the top tier deer in said environment, uh, but just doing it a different way. But my but the environment here in Iowa is such to where it's, you know, uh, timbered fingers and egg. And that's the strategy that I use to, you know, that that strategy from that environment is what I use to uh to try to get the job done.
1: So at your point in your uh, we're, we're just going to say for lack of a better term in your point in your hunting career. Do you have other goals and objectives um that you would like to accomplish or things you want to learn? Like is there anything as a as a student of the white tail that you're like, "Man, this is one area that I feel weaker in my game or I just want to know more about deer and deer hunting?" yeah in this specific realm of whitetails
0: uh really uh, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing um you know obviously the way I uh, approach it I, I want to learn as much about deer in general but individuals as well I want to be able to step my game up from uh you know w- when you've killed when you've started stacking up four-year-olds, uh, or older mature, let's just say mature deer, then it becomes about what mature deer do you want to shoot? Right. And so right now I am a, I'm a hit list guy, but I think it would be really cool to just say, I have one deer on my mind this year and I want to shoot that deer. I kind of did it last year. Um, although I lumped the my the buck that I ended up shooting, I, I lumped him in at I want to say three other deer I put on the hit list. He was one of them. He came by, I shot him. And, you know that that's the story. But I want to be able to some some year go this buck or nothing. And I, I've I did that from two thousand and seven to two thousand and man I want to say eleven. From 2007 to 2011, I really was focusing on one deer, but I, I shot I shot deer in that time frame. But the goal, so the the goal, the ultimate goal is to be able to locate one deer, locate his patterns, uh, and and make a move on him. And I I also did that in 2020. But you know, I put together a hit list, and maybe it's time for me to just. Find one deer and go after him, and and then the other thing. And this is this is a, a again another answer to that question. But from an environment standpoint, I would love to shoot uh, a net, not a gross, but uh, no, excuse me, not a not a gross.
1: You want to shoot a, a gross net. gross buck, not, not yeah, not, buck. not net the duck, not
0: net. Yeah, I want to shoot a a gross Boone and Crockett. Yeah. I think it would be cool to shoot a buck over 170. I've had opportunities over the years, Adam. It's just never um, the 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 deer that I'm chasing in the in those environments have. You know, I've I've messed up on a couple deer of, of that caliber. Um, I've missed. I've put bad hits on on deer of that caliber. Never never capitalizing on it. But I think you know if I play my cards right and, and continue down this path, it's just a matter of time until. I get a, you know, a, a, a big antler deer. It's cool. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at my wall, I look at my wall, I should say every day. And I go, God, you know, that's a pretty good wall of, of, of mature bucks, but it would be cool to have one that just scored ridiculously high, but I'm not necessarily basing any decisions that I'm making off of antler size. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. You're, so, you're
1: hunting an age class.
0: Yeah yeah for the for the most part hunting an age class you know but you know again i say i'm hunting an age class but i'm not going to be shooting a 130 class 7 year old or whatever uh, i just for me i, I want to put i'm to the point where i want to put my tag around a a big old big antlered mature buck and that's that that may sound greedy I don't know what the word is. It may sound selfish, but that's, that's what I want. I, you know, not to justify it, but there's guys out there, a lot of guys out there who I know, especially in the, the, um, industry space who the only thing they care about is the number of inches Mm. on, on the deer. And I I care about it a little bit, but not enough to pass (laughs) like I don't I would have a really hard time passing a 160 to to you know and hopefully get something 10 inches bigger you know what I mean
1: well oh my gosh that's a whole rabbit hole discussion right there because like so you know growing up in Pennsylvania I never thought I would have the opportunity of shooting something that would gross Boone and Crockett right right and I, I like, I was fortunate in 2020, there was a deer that I, I had pictures of at my place a year before, and he was probably a high 140s to 150 type deer. And he made it through, and the next year when he when he showed it, you know, he showed up, he just blew up. Like, he was a frickin' gross boon giant, and I couldn't believe it. And, you know, the series of events that unfolded, I was fortunate enough to kill him. And I think about that all the time. He grossed 170, and I think there are people throughout the entire country in some way better whitetail states than I am that have never killed a deer of that class. I'm like, I can't believe, first of all, how fricking lucky I am too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I, I look at that deer all the time and think, um, like how special that is, but you, you brought up the the numbers and passing up smaller deer. Like one of the conversations that came up about that deer. So I sent the tooth of that deer, and when it came back, he came back as a four and a half year old deer at at one seventy. Made huge jumps, and you know, a couple of big buck hunters I know who I respect. They were like, "What would he have been if you let him go? He might have been one ninety next year." And I'm like. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. But <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was seriously. Like, I would have killed him as a three year old when he was 145 to 150. Like, I would have shot that deer all day long. And it gets to a point where. Like, I, I love scoring deer. I just think it's a metric to kind of visualize, and I don't think it's a bad thing. But, there, yeah, it does go to that extreme. The, the whole scoring thing goes to extremes because some guys are, like, so anti-scoring. And, like, if you ever put a tape measure on deer, like, you're, you're degrading the game itself. And then, the, you know, the other end of the spectrum is people that all they care about is the end result when you add those numbers up. And, I, again, I would say I'm the same way. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, too. I think it's a cool metric to use just to talk about whitetails.
0: Yeah, I got eleven deer. Uh, let me see. Yeah, I got eleven deer, mounted deer, on my wall, and I've scored two of them, and so that like I, I I in a way I don't give a shit what the score is. Um, ultimately, if I want, you know, obviously if I if I want to shoot uh, a Boone and Crockett, let's say, you know, then inches are kind of important, but I'm not going to, I'm not making really any decisions based off of it. It, it. What I'm getting at is it would be cool to say, I have a booner on the wall. With that said, I am such an advocate for doing what makes you happy. And I say this all the time, and this has been a, a thing that's been beat to death by the podcast, You know, just podcasters. If you love going out in hunting and you're extremely happy and you're happy in general about shooting a fork horn or a a, a spike buck, man, I am going to celebrate that with you. I'm going to celebrate that with you. I, I don't care if you, where you are, where you're at hunting for me is such a, a, a health, it's a healthy thing for me. Like I need it. I need, I need the break. I need to focus on something else uh, other, you know, in my life. And I think for, you know, this is going to sound like a, a men's health thing, but I think men in general need to have something to where they can step away for just a little bit, refocus and recenter, and then come back a better person. And when I go on my out of state hunt and I go on my hunting trips, that's, that is that opportunity. I get, I know that my Family's taken care of, back home. I can go do my thing. I can escape for a while. I can recenter, and I can come back uh, and, and have a clear head and say, you know what? It didn't work out, but now it's time to get back into dad
1: mode. Yeah. You, you brought up a good point earlier, too. So um, doing what makes you happy. I, 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 I wonder, do you feel like in today's world with all the social media and everything else going on, do you feel that it's worse now than it was years ago for people who do stuff because like like they have to prove themselves to other people like like doing what makes you happy like i i've always said um it doesn't matter what i kill and what i have on my wall i'm the only one that cares about it like nobody else is going to care what i kill and everything else but there's still this like overwhelming desire I think for myself and and I'm I'm speaking on this because I was once in those shoes so I'm I'm wondering is that just the progression of a hunter and some people have to prove themselves at a younger as a younger hunter in a younger age and then they kind of mature as a hunter or is that amplified and worse now just because of the way society is and the way social media is like what where do you fall on that spectrum because you've interviewed tons of people that we talk about whitetails
0: I think it is human nature to want to be good at what you what you love, and so a lot of people for for our conversation here, there's people out there who absolutely love, and I'm one of them. I love bow hunting, so I put so much time and energy into it. Why not try to be the best at something? It's just that what I want to be the best at, I don't want to be the best at killing large antlered deer. I want to be the I want to be the best. I want to be good. I want to be really good at locating a mature whitetail and shooting him with an arrow. That's my goal, and and I feel it's human nature to just want to to improve yourself to better yourself, especially if it is your passion. You know, uh, it's like a craftsman, right? You know, a, a woodworker or a cabinet maker, or you know, when they first started out they were probably crap at doing what they're doing. Like any, any type of trade. Then all of a sudden, you know, you start getting good at something. And so now you're going like, not only does my reputation on how I make my money depend on it, but I also want, you know, I also just want to, I'm, I, I love woodworking and I want to be the best woodworker there is. And it, you know, it, it's, I feel it's just human nature, but then, there's there there can be an arrogance side in that as well and sometimes a person can look arrogant but also sometimes a person can just be straight arrogant yeah and 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 a lot of it you know it's so objective it's it's hard to there it's such a blurry line
1: well yeah and on to that like you can do something for so long and then get it in your head that you're you're the, you're the man like i'm the best at this um, it can be really hard for some people to accept the fact that there are better hunters and there are better bow hunters than me out there. Like that's happened to me. But you know what? When I accepted the the, the reality that ugh, I am not God's gift to hunting whitetails and and killing big deer, and I started listening to other people and what they're doing, it made me a better deer hunter. Like there are oh, yeah. people out there in my, in my life and some people that I've actually never met, but I've, I've learned from through their content that they put out. Like if I ever get the opportunity to shake their hand, be like, look, you made me open my eyes and made me a better deer hunter. And I think that's, that's important because that comes back to the whole community thing and that aspect yeah. of it. But
0: yeah, I'll be honest. I like, I used to think that the key to success, especially in the whitetail space is killing big antlered deer I I I don't give a shit about that honestly I I don't care Um, because number one I don't have the resources that these other people have to manicure properties and have large tracts of land that are you know that you talked had a conversation with a guy a while back and he was talking about he spent x number of dollars on planting a bean field for deer all right and we're talking maybe a 50 acre a 50 acre food plot
1: that's a huge expense. that's a
0: huge yeah i mean it's a huge expense and because he didn't like how it turned out he just did all up and replanted soybeans again so so they would regrow and so I, I look at something like that and i go are you kidding me that's diesel fuel that's equipment whether you own it or whether you rent it that's um you know the seed that's the fertilizer the time commitment to that and some people just you know that's what you know like you you love habitat work you love habitat work i don't have the ability to do habitat work on some of the properties that i that i hunt not yet anyway you know i'm hoping someday that changes because i can i can definitely see the interest in it but I've never had those resources. I've never wanted, you know, I've always found ways to kill deer based off of the, 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 the environment that I have available to me. Mm. And so, and so the, just, it's, it's hard. I, I can't, what I'm getting at is I can't relate to that style of hunting. Like, I just can't. And I, I, I feel like there then comes a line between entertainment an actual value, right? Because if if somebody who manages large chunks of property and hunts over um, hunts over giant food plots and doesn't go into the timber and spends you know ten twenty thousand dollars a year on manicuring properties, so that you know what would happen? I would be living in my truck right now if I spent ten grand on on food you, plots. You'd and, you'd be and back and to living the
1: good old country song. <laughs>
0: I would – I I tell you what, I'd have a lot more free time.
1: Oh, man. If if that would happen, man, we would have to get, like, Morgan Wallen or something to write Dan Johnson's life story is what yep, we'd have to
0: yep. get. I planted a food – like, when planning a food plot goes wrong. <laughs>
1: Well, hey, I, one thing I'm curious about, so you, you talked about a couple of the deer hanging on your wall. I'm kind of curious, when, you know, I have a couple that I look at and they just, I, I stare at them a little bit longer than the other ones and I just smile a little bit more just because of what transpired for that. Like I'm curious, like the deer you look at on your wall, is there one deer or two deer or something in particular that, man, that, that one's a little bit extra special?
0: Right. So we got about, we got about 10 to 15 minutes left. So I'm going to tell you two stories here, okay? One is from 2016. And I, it, it was the year that everything clicked for me. I look at that deer every single day and I smile at it. I, I'm not joking. I I always walk downstairs, take a couple sips of coffee because it was that buck that made me the hunter really that I am today. And what I mean by that is the first, the first, the first it's like the first championship is always the sweetest Mm. right and so i i put together a game plan and i got the job done on it right i mean it i i i it was it was the rut it was uh man i'm trying to think it was the rut i showed up to the property the first day that i was there I walked I went into all my trail cameras I pulled all the cards I came back home and I flipped through all the cameras and there's this big mature buck he's not big in antlers but he's big in body big Roman nose on him and uh, I, I, I located his position he was coming to this this scrape on a field edge over and over and over again so I said man he must be he must be somewhat close and so then it started raining and I missed an afternoon hunt and I missed a morning hunt and, and it rained all day and right at about three forty five ish, the rain, there was going to be a break in the rain. I said, man, uh, everybody says get in the tree stand right after it rains. Mm-hmm. And so I got in the tree stand and I'm not joking. As soon as like the last drops, of rain started falling in the the sky started to clear up just a little bit i see a deer stand up in this marsh and it's him and he starts walking to the field edge i'm sure he was going to go to the scrape but before he gets to the scrape i give one he stops looks in my direction takes a 90 degree turn starts walking right toward me complete broadside i hit him high in the spine but I dropped him right in his tracks and I was like, it worked yeah. like, Oh my God, it worked. My, my strategy worked, you know, I, I, I spent all this time, you know, um, uh, curating a, a strategy right. and it worked and I was so fired up for, you know, for a, for 135, 140 inch 10 pointer in iowa and i was and that right there got me fired up all right so that's that's the first story
1: and that was just everything that transpired from from learning wind location and everything that was just the accumulation of all that into one hunt
0: yeah 10 years 10 years into one hunt you know what i mean and so it worked out and i was pretty jacked about it now here's one here's a story of the biggest buck i've ever seen with my own eyes okay and this was, I'm, man, I, I wish I would remember the date, but I think it was before I got my finger cut off. So it would have been previous to 2005. It was either, it was either 2000, it was either, no, you know what? I think I did have my finger cut off. So that would have been maybe 2007, 2006, okay. 2007. So somewhere in that time frame. I wish I, I wish I could remember the exact year. Anyway,
1: showing your age, man.
0: Exactly. So I'm leaving a property and I pull off the I I pull off the gravel onto the blacktop to cross an interstate to come back to another blacktop that leads into town to where where my house was. And there. I'm coming up on this farmhouse and, and I'm sure you guys got them out there too where a farms separated by a road mm-hmm. right so you got the house on one side and then maybe a barn on the other side um, and so I'm seeing these does cross the road under the farm yard light and they' these does are like eating bird seed out of the out of the um uh, bird feeders and I'm like oh that's cool and then I look across in the In the barnyard, there stands, still to this day, the largest whitetail that I have ever seen. And I mean, besides high fence, like those high fence freaks of genetic freaks that are like 200-inch yearlings. To this day, there's been no deer killed that could have matched this deer. Um, I, I will confidently say that it would score larger than the Hansen buck. Uh, like uh, it was a world record typical, like guaranteed. It was like an eight by eight. And I would not be surprised if the G twos and G threes, the brow times were probably eight inches long, maybe, maybe nine, the, the G twos and threes. I would I would say definitely 12 inches, if not longer, could have been 14. But his G2s, his G3s, and his G4s were all the same size, and then it started staggering down from there. But he was a typical eight by eight, and and he was probably over 20 wide. He just looked like a like a picket fence, like just standing there. And I he was so huge that I just I let go of my steering wheel to turn around as I'm driving to look out the back window to still see him. And so I turned around, I drove by him again, but he was already gone at that point. So the next day I went over to the farmhouse and I said, Hey man, you know, do, do you allow hunting on your property? I'm just kind of curious, you know, it, it didn't look like a spot that held like it, it would have just went under the radar just from the location of this place, mm-hmm. and so I end up knocking on the door, and the farmer answers it, and I ask him the question. He goes, "You saw him, didn't you?" So he knew this buck was there, and he goes, "No hunting," and to this day that boggles me because if somebody would have shot this deer, it would have made headlines. All over the world. I mean, all over the whitetail community. It would have been. It would have been the typical number one. Period. I, I just knowing what I know about deer, knowing how, knowing how antlers. You know, like I, I'm not the greatest at judging. And sometimes when you get fired up, you you, you may go, "Oh, I saw a booner, but he's 150." You know what I mean? Right. This is a. This is a. This was a no doubter. You know, like when a guy hits a home run and it goes into the upper deck. Yeah. This is a no doubter world record and every single year i'm more confident in it based off of what i see hanging at the iowa deer classic what i've seen hanging at the illinois deer classics and things like that and so the these it it was it was gigantic and it's been ingrained in my memory Just the light, it's dark all around the light from the yard light shining down on him next to a red barn with a, um, you know, it's a horse door next to it. And so the bottom door was closed. The bottom part of the door was closed. The top part was open. There was an old wooden fence uh, behind him. And then all this brush, like, uh, like honeysuckle all along the fence line, all illuminated by this yard light. So it was like an orange type color. And he was, it would be cool to have that image like somehow recreated by like Ryan Kirby or um, one of the other, uh, Larry Zack. It would be, it would be cool to have that. If I could tell, tell them, Hey, this is what I would like to see on a painting. And then they could, they could make that image. That would be crazy.
1: Like, like that whole thing is like a story of, like, you saw Bigfoot. is almost what it's like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Th- that'll be a story you'll tell, uh, like, till the day you die. And it'll be like crazy old Grandpa Dan was telling the story of this mega giant buck that, that nobody ever saw. And he's kind of sounding a little loony the older he, he gets when he tells it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and
0: so, so I told that story to a guy who lived in the area a handful of years after it happened. And he said, um, he saw about a half a mile away in a different year, he saw the biggest deer he's ever shot and this or he's ever seen. Mm. And this guy has shot this guy shot multiple for uh, 200 inches. okay, okay? And so he's like, I just he goes, yep, uh, three years ago, I saw the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, but this one had a drop time that spiraled down off of his main beam like it like a slinky like it, it spiraled down and he's like the mass it was non-typical it was just crazy and it, he's like he he said the number 230 to me he's like it was definitely 230 wow 30 non-typical oh i was like and i trust this guy and so i'm just like dude this like it's not that way anymore but iowa back in the day used to be that i mean before before people started moving into it bef- before the industry took hold of it before a, a lot of non-residents started buying ground in the south the southern part of the state you know we we had a we didn't have that much non-res like before non-residents were, were coming here in droves to, to hunt the deer it used to be mythical like iowa used to be mythical
1: yeah I've it's heard not that, that way so anymore. many times
0: Oh yeah, like the late nineties, the like the nineties before people started really paying attention to Iowa. There's guys out there, and I, I know this is taking long, but there's guys out there who have I, I would not who have the best walls in the entire country, and you'll never hear about them. Yeah, you'll you won't you won't know who they are. They're what's going to end up happening, and this is they're like. All their deer antlers are, that are on their wall, their, their heads that are in their garage, you know, stacks of Euro mounts that are from deer that are, you know, oh, this guy shot a 200-inch deer. He had it Euro mounted and then he nailed it to his machine shed, mm-hmm. the inside of his machine shed. They're just going to get thrown away, right? So all these deer are just going to get thrown away by the kids because they don't, they don't care about hunting. And so these, like, literal legends that you'll never meet, you'll never know who they are. And that's what, that's what made Iowa so special back then.
1: I know. I've heard you talk about that. I've heard other people talk about it. And it's kind of a shame because they're, the, what what killed that is media. And uh, mm-hmm. th- that's why I never was a big fan of it. Now here I am being uh, being a, a hypocrite a little bit because now I'm doing podcasts and media. But, I mean, at the same time, I appreciate you telling stories like that because I can think of a couple places that I hunt big woods Pennsylvania some of the public land I hunt and I, I do this for you know that nostalgia of history that I have in some of those places and just the interest and the draw and the lore of that those mountains and stuff and I've, I've seen glimpses of some really really big woods bucks and something like that is just one of those things that I can picture standing on a side hill looking across a, a big bench and a patch of laurel or rhododendron and just see a glimpse of something that is just like uh, the, the 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 picturesque whitetail and that's like that's right around the corner it's almost here and i can't wait for it so know so yeah. stories like that is what gets me fired up but uh man we've been rolling for a while i appreciate you taking some time and bs and whitetails with me uh man uh, this has been good so hey i uh, appreciate it. anything we, you want to leave us with
0: hey man um other than out out <laughs> i get I get uh, pretty fired up about just being kind of a good person. So outside of me saying the the standard, hey, go check out the Sportsman's Empire, go check out Mitch's uh, uh, podcast, you know, tell, share it with your friends. I'm am a huge advocate for positive energy, and this this is where it gets a little hippie. But like, if you remain positive even in the most stressful and negative situations, that positivity will help somebody else have a better day. And so there's sometimes in there, there's sometimes in life where you need to just like, if, if a, uh, a shit sandwich is sitting in front of you, sometimes you just got to eat it with a smile on your face. And that kind of lets everybody else know that things are going to be okay. And, um, I'm just a, you know, I'm a huge advocate for being kind to people, um, uh, being positive, being, being, you know, being, uh, aggressive when necessary i guess you would say but for the most part like just be just good vibes man i say it all the time good vibes in good vibes out and uh that that's kind of my motto
1: nothing beats positive energy and and i i always just use you know it's it's the corny term but nothing beats love like that's one thing that i've i've believed and said Mm -hmm. many times is like you nothing trumps love uh like like you know you, you you can't you might have an awkward feel to it or a, or a bitter taste to it just because of the situation but at the end of the day nothing will overpower that and i, I think there's so many avenues of life even outside of deer hunting so i, I appreciate you you leaving that with us and i hope everybody listen to this as we kind of go into whitetail season and all our fall seasons man keep positive in the field and uh even at home because uh as we were talking about before Stuff can get a little bit hectic when you're uh, when you're not uh, <laughs> when you're not in the mindset of whitetails because home home is still abounding. So man, I appreciate That's that.
0: that. Yep. Hey, again, congratulations on
1: hundred. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, it's good feeling.